Welcome back, everyone, to What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. As always, I'm talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, welcome back to America. I'm just going to start you off. What are your initial impressions of the NBA Finals so far? Well, I was unable to watch games two and three because the they were on at 3 a.m. in Germany and they didn't have the channels. Those are the best ones so far. Two and three. Well, yeah, yeah, no, they were. They, I mean, based on the score, they were great. And based on the results, they were great because uh, obviously Cleveland won them both. So I'm worried that Cleveland may deport me if the Cavs lose the next two games because I've been in the country for all of their losses. So that could yeah. end badly for me. But my thoughts so far are that LeBron James and Steph Curry are going to get theirs. And this series has come down to whichever team's supporting cast decides to step up. And in Game 4, the Warriors made some very key adjustments and their supporting staff finally stepped up. And Andre Iguodala had a huge game. Draymond Green had his best game of the series. David Lee got more involved and they finally doubled LeBron James, and now it's pretty much on Cleveland to sort of counter what Steve Kerr and the Warriors adjusted in Game 4. You have to give a lot of credit to Golden State for doing what they needed to do to win. They made some very strong tactical adjustments, and it put their role players in better situations, and they stepped up big. But for the first three games, I think the Cavs had outplayed the Warriors. Even in game one when they lost, I think the Cavs had a great game plan in daring everyone but the Splash Brothers to beat them. And up until game four, the Warriors had been kind of stymied by that. I think the Splash Brothers, their plan was to let them go in with just a little bit of a dive, not a cannonball. And so far, Curry and Thompson have been relatively held in check. I mean, Curry's been scoring about 20 to 25 points a game, but you know he's going to do that. He hasn't had an epic stamp on this series game yet, and LeBron James has had three of those. And it's kind of, if you're Golden State, you're pretty fortunate to only be 2-2 right now with the way LeBron James played in those first three games. You had to feel very confident that you won game one despite a tremendous all-time effort from LeBron. So I think that so far, it's come down to which supporting cast has stepped up. And so far, even though it's 2-2, nothing has surprised me in the sense of before the series began. I thought each team would split on each other's home floor in these first four games, and that has happened. It didn't surprise me that the Cavs lost game four. I thought it would be extremely difficult to beat the Warriors and go up 3-1, knowing how they responded against Memphis, knowing how they made adjustments throughout the playoffs. I didn't think it would be that easy for Cleveland to finish this team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I, I I picked Warriors in six, and I know you picked Cavs in six, so we both foresaw a long series. And for, Ka- for Cleveland to go up, uh, win three in a row against this Golden State Warrior team, and then essentially go into game five with a with a three-game lead that would be uh, I, I don't think anybody honestly really expected that well a lot of people expected that for the Warriors maybe but um, yeah this series is gonna go it's it's gonna be a battle each game I think you alluded to it in, in what you said um, the whoever can hit those open shots more consistently is going to win the series. And that sounds really simple and easy, but Cleveland blew a lot of open shots last night. The Golden State Warriors, Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes, and Iguodala, they missed a lot of open shots in those first three games. They finally capitalized on it on, on, it on game four. So going forward, it's really just a matter of which of those role players can knock down enough threes really to to help their team score some points. I was really impressed with those first three games by Cleveland. The heart they came out with, the the defensive intensity, the way they just grinded out points and really just I think they outplayed and were an outcoached Golden State in those first three games. Now Steve Kerr and the Warriors staff gave a really strong counterpunch last night in game four, essentially just cruising to a victory for three quarters really and that started with what benching Andrew Bogut 
he didn't start last and yesterday's game because Timothy Mozgov basically evaporated him in the first three games. I mean, my goodness, that guy just got demolished and demoralized. And it wasn't surprising to me that Andrew Bogut got benched for game four because he was, he was a non-factor in those first three games. The Golden State Warriors, at the end of the day, this team has a tremendous advantage of depth. I mean, they had... As at the end of four games, all thirteen of those Golden State Warriors have played minutes in this in this series. The Cavs, I think, only eight guys have played have t- have touched the court in those four games. Well, not counting the garbage time in Game Four, a lot of guys got in late there. But meaningful minutes wise, no, I don't think any more than eight. Well, yeah, I mean, even last night it was only nine. Kendrick Perkins was the only new guy to to come onto the hardwood. Uh, so, no, Mike Miller and uh, uh, Harris also played, at least according to the box score. They, I mean, Harris, Perkins, and Miller all came in late for like the last three minutes, but wasn't. Yeah, and wasn't well, Mike Miller for. is included in the eight because he's played minutes in in every game so far. So anyway, the Warriors have tons of options to adjust and to readjust and to counter move. I'm really interested in what. David Blatt and the Cleveland Cavaliers can do in answering the small lineup that the Warriors rolled out because they really don't have the flexibility or the options that the Warriors have. And the Warriors have, that's probably their greatest strength. I mean, David Lee has sat on the bench all year. He's their highest paid player and is a two-time all-star, I believe. So they, they have always been blessed with this depth. It's compounded even more when you look across the court and the Cavs are, are limping all, all around. So that, that counter was very smart by Kerr and very obvious to do. I wonder what Cleveland is going to do next because in a seven-game series in the finals with two teams that have both proven they can win this thing outright, uh, it's just a matter of adjustments and, and who can make the better call because we there are stars on both sides. They're going to get theirs and get their points. There are role players on both sides, and they're both – probably going to do their things it's just a matter of who's going to adjust more yeah if you're asking about what the Cavs can do it's real simple and you said it earlier hit open looks three for 23 that is the shooting percentage that was uh, what Shumpert Smith Deli and James Jones all combined from three-point range in game four and a lot of them were open looks when LeBron James is getting doubled and when Timothy Mozgov has a cupcake matchup you guys are going to be open on the perimeter, and I'm going to tell you right now what Golden State is going to do in Game 5. They are going to dare those four guys to hit open looks. They're going to go what they did against Memphis. They're going to go Tony Allen on them. They're going to say, look, you're going to be left open all game. We're clogging the plane. We're doubling LeBron. Hit your open looks. They did that in Game 4. The Cavs couldn't step up. If they don't step up, They're not going to win. David Black can't put these guys in better positions than wide open, sometimes even wide open corner threes. We're talking about the easiest three-point shot in the game here, people. you got to be better than three for 23. LeBron is going to get doubled for the rest of this series until those guys can provide some relief. And the guy I'm looking at the most is J.R. Smith. Without Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, J.R. Smith is the second best offensive weapon on the Cleveland Cavaliers. He can shoot it. He can drive. He is a very strong offensive player. They've got to get him going to take some relief off LeBron James, to get the spacing back, to open up the paint, and make things easier on everyone. Because if these guys aren't hitting shots, it doesn't matter. It's not going to matter. There's no adjustment David Black can make that's going to counter anything if these guys can't space the floor. It's on the players, not the coach right now. And it's not just in game four. The Cavs have shot, those four guys have combined to shoot 29% from three for the series at 21 of 73. J.R. Smith is 7 of 28 from three for the series. Delhi is 5 of 21. Shumpert is 5 of 16. And James Jones is 4 of 8. Those are not good numbers. That's not good enough. You've got to hit these shots and keep that Golden State defense honest and loosen up some of the double teams. When J.R. Smith is hitting shots, they can't just double LeBron every possession. They have to respect the floor spacing. 
That's the simple adjustment that needs to be made. It's on the players now. They've got to step up. It doesn't get any easier than this. LeBron's going to make it easy for them. They've got to deliver. Yeah, I I mean, that that is a very good point. I don't think on the offensive side of the ball, the Cavs can adjust in really any way. I mean, it's LeBron's going to control the ball for 90% of the time and he's going to pass it when they're in good positions to shoot and that's that's the only way this lacking team can can function on the offensive end. I'm curious on the defensive end what they're going to be able to do against essentially the the three small forward lineup that the Warriors have in their front court now. That's I think that's where the game is going to be because what you said about those four shooters how they were cold Draymond Green and Harrison Barnes were equally cold. Harrison Barnes was 0 for 8 in that game three. Draymond Green still has not had a real efficient finals. He finally kind of picked up his game last night and scored 17 points. But those two guys have had just as rough a finals until game four. It's a matter of can those four offensive guys on on the Cavs team, can they turn it on and can Green, Barnes, and Iguodala keep it going? But on the defensive side of the ball, it's interesting because the Cavs with Thompson and Mozgov have a great rebounding and defensive post advantage, but all five of those guys that the Warriors started last night can shoot the three, and all five of those guys can essentially drive it as well. That's a, a crazy, ridiculous lineup that is unheard of being successful this late in the postseason. And I think the Cavs really do have their handful, and I'm interested to see what they can possibly do to counter it because Mozgov uh, is is limited in guarding one of those guys on the perimeter, but he's definitely an asset, and you need him to be on the on the court as much as you can. So it's going to be interesting. No, certainly. I mean, I don't know how much you can adjust to that, but I also think that. I, I'm not 100% sure that these guys are as good as they're being made out to be. I, I don't think that they have five guys who just do everything. I, I think that some of their guys are not that good. But it certainly is a problem in the sense that, you know, you have a longer, taller post in the Cavs versus a shorter post in the Warriors. And I think Andrew Bogut, you're going to see less and less of him this series. Steve Kerr is going away from his big center, unlike Tom Thibodeau did against the Cavs. He kept on playing Joakim Noah against Cleveland, even though it was clear he was not doing anything. Steve Kerr is probably not going to play Bogut as much anymore. And I do think that they are going to be playing these smaller lineups with more frequency. Honestly, the only thing they could do, I don't think the Cavs are that far off. I mean, they played a great games one through three. They had a great defensive plan in games one through three. You do have to pick your poison when you're playing against Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. And I think the priority needs to be stop them and make those guys step up and beat you. Because those guys haven't always been able to step up and beat you. The first three games, they did not do that. So at the end of the day, I don't think they need to have an overhaul on a defense that really has been relatively effective. But, you know, if the Warriors step up and win... They're going to win. I mean, if they step up and hit shots, if their role players step up, there's not much you can do. No, certainly, yeah. Either side of the ball, if the role players step up and make their shots, they're most likely they're going to win. It's just I think that game four was was the first, the first major move, and the Warriors moved and flowed and passed the ball and ran the ball ten times better than they did in those first three games. So, it, yeah, I, I keep saying it, but the ball really is in David Blatt's court and they need to to scheme a little bit better and to figure some things out because Mozgov needs to be on the court. He needs to play, but he also he we need to figure out how to how to put him on one of those guys for for major minutes. So it's it's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, when you're in the Cavs position, there's not much David Black can do at this point other than like I said, it's on the players. They have got to hit open shots. They've got to keep pace with Golden State. They were not that far off in Game 4 either. They had it 73-70. to They were right there. And then the Warriors just plowed away 30-12 to for the remainder of the game. So 
the Cavs are not far off. I, I don't think that it's it's panic time. I don't think that the Warriors are this insurmountable team. I don't think that they're flawless. I don't think their role players are untouchable. I'm really tired of hearing about how everyone on the Warriors is just so great and then the Cavs are just this team that's limping along. No, they're not. The Cavs have good role players too and they played good defense against their role players in games one through three. I don't think that there needs to be an overhaul here, but I do think the Cavs need to hit their open looks. They need to improve their play on the floor and simply just, it's at the point where you just got to play better than the other team. I'm, I'm, it's oversimplifying it, yeah, but that really is what it is. We've got two tremendous teams here. We've got two tremendous superstars, two tremendous supporting casts, and at the end of the day, it's the team that plays better is going to win. And David Blatt, I think, has coached a very good finals. Steve Kerr has coached a very good finals. They have put their teams in a position to win. It's just a matter of who's going to step up and get it. Certainly, I, I, I'm a little less... I mean, the Warriors are good, man. The Warriors are really good, and they, ha- they are clearly more deep and more talented than the Cavs. And I think it's not fair to... It's not right to say that they're not as good as people say they are. I mean, some people are putting the whole Warriors roster on a pedestal, but they're littered with talent. Either these guys are first round picks or they've been named to all NBA teams or all-star teams or defensive player of the year awards on the, you look at the other side of the ball, Cavs have LeBron and LeBron is, has played amazing and, it's been if if he wins this series, it's gonna be one of the most incredible stories ever. Due in part because everyone that he's playing with is just they're good, but they are a step below what you expect on a finals team. And I'm sorry, I mean I love Cleveland, but they these guys play really well. They they have shown tremendous heart and hustle and, and everything that you want in a championship team, but at the end of the day, there's just some talent missing, and I think. See, I disagree with that. I, I'm going to take Tristan Thompson over anyone other, not named uh, Thompson, Clay Thompson, or Steph Curry on the Warriors. Tristan Thompson's better than anyone on the Warriors. The Cavs have talent. The Cavs have more talent than people are giving them credit for. Tristan Thompson, Timothy Mozgov, Shumpert, J.R. Smith, these guys are just as good as the Warriors' role players. I'm sick and tired of hearing how the Warriors have five guys they, who can they do aren't, everything. Man. They, but, they aren't. But no, they're not. They're not. They lost game one through three. Where was Draymond Green in games one through three? He was nowhere. The Cavs had a great plan against him. Where was Andre Iguodala in games one through three? Nowhere. The Cavs had a great plan against him. The, the I'm Warriors, sick of this. The Warriors won a game, and the Warriors lost the next game by two, and they almost came back in that third game. I mean, give them some credit. I, I, no, I'm not going to give them credit for losing two games. I'll give them credit for winning game four. Congratulations, you stepped up and won game four. But Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green played terrible in the first three games, and they lost two of them. They're getting no credit for losing. They get no credit for losing. I'm sorry. No. They're not better than the Cavs. These two teams are evenly matched. The Cavs players, I will give they, you that the Warriors have more players. They have deep. They have more depth because two of the Cavs' pr- premier players are injured. But the Cavs' role players are every bit as good as the Warriors' role players. They outplayed the Warriors' role players for three games. I'm sick and tired of the Cavs' role players just being a bunch of bums that everyone's just rolling over this isn't 2007 and this certainly isn't the philadelphia team that lost to the lakers these team this team is a lot better than anyone's giving them credit for and i'm tired of it i'm just sick and tired of hearing how good the warriors are compared to the Cavs. the Cavs role players are every bit as good they have shown it for three out of four games in this series and i think that it's just a simple brawl to the finish it's it's gonna be a brawl to the finish, but the the Warriors they're the better they are the better team. LeBron, we have LeBron on our side, and it makes everything easier and better. But the Warriors they have better players, and that that's it. You can't you can't watch basketball and not say that that's not true. Yeah, I can because I've watched basketball, and I'm saying that that's not true. I don't think the Warriors have. Better players. No, I don't. I, I think that they're just as good as the Warriors. I think the Cavs role players are just as good as the Warriors. I think LeBron James makes up for a lot of it. LeBron James has outplayed both Curry and Thompson combined in every game, except maybe last night, game four. So, I mean, that right there is a huge advantage. Tristan Thompson, I would take over anyone on the Warriors, save Thompson and Curry. I'd take Tristan Thompson over Draymond Green. 
I would. Andre Iguodala, he's a fine player, but he only showed up for one game. Harrison Barnes, hello, where are you, Harrison Barnes? Because he's played terrible this entire series. David Lee has played solid, but he didn't play for two games. So, yeah, he's a great player. Livingston, Barboza, Bogut, Space, they're solid, but they're not great. J.R. Smith can hang with these guys. Shumpert can hang with these guys. And Mozgov has been eating this team apart. No, the Warriors are not insurmountably better than the Cavs. The Cavs can go toe-to-toe with them. Their supporting cast and their role players are just as good. I I would take all five of those guys after LeBron James. No. No. I would take Tristan Thompson over Draymond. I would take Tristan Thompson over anyone but Curry and Clay Thompson. I think Tristan Thompson is better than Draymond Green. He does things better than Draymond Green, but, I mean, Draymond Green is a more complete player. I mean, we disagree. I mean, if, if Draymond Green is a more complete player, why did Tristan Thompson own him in games one through three? He owned him on, on the glass, yeah. But why did... When the Warriors were down by 11 points, why did they start following Tristan Thompson with four minutes to go? Because he's awful at shooting the ball. Fine, he has one. He has a bad free. He's a bad free throw shooter. Okay. And he has a very limited offensive skill set. I still think he's better than Draymond Green. I mean, Draymond Green had been nothing until Game Four. Draymond Green's leading score. He scored 12 points. He scored 10 points. He scored 7 points in the first three games. Those are his game lines. He was 2 of 10 from the field in Game 3. In Game 2, he was 2 of 7 from the field. In Game 1, he was 4 of 13 from the field. Tristan Thompson owned him. 6 rebounds in Game 1. Okay, he had 10 in Game 2. That's pretty good. Okay, that's solid. I'll give him that one. Rebounding. 7 in Game 3. Okay. So he, he did he did show up on the glass a little bit. But those shooting numbers were terrible. He didn't score. And that was a lot that had to do with Tristan Thompson. I'm sorry. I, I, think, I would take Tristan Thompson over Draymond Green. I would take Tristan Thompson over anyone else on, on the Warriors team after their big two. Look, I, the Cavs role players can go toe-to-toe with the Warriors role players. The Warriors role players are not made of gold. The Warriors don't have 20. At pre, before this series began, everyone was saying the Warriors have five guys who can guard LeBron James one-on-one. No, they don't. They have no one who can guard LeBron James one-on-one. Because when they did that in the first three games, he dropped 40 in Game 3. He dropped 39 in Game 2. And he dropped 44 in Game 1. And he had a triple-double. And he was killing them. And they had to double them. And then finally, he got them down to 20 and 12. With eight assists. They can't guard LeBron. Their their role players are being so overhyped. I'm not saying they're not the better team. They won 67 games. Respect to that. I'm not saying they're not the deeper team. The Cavs are dealing with two major injuries. But their role players are not insurmountably better than the Cavs. The Cavs have gone toe-to-toe with them this entire series. They outplayed them for 75% of this series. The Warriors made a key adjustment. They're putting some pressure on the Cavs. I just disagree with the fact I don't think the Cavs role players are being so underrated. It's just not even funny. I think they're definitely overrated and the Warriors are definitely, I'm sorry, the, the, the Cavs are definitely underrated and the Warriors are definitely overrated, but there still is, exists a gap between the two teams and there's a talent gap. I think, no, I don't think it's talent gap. I think it's a depth gap. I, I think the well, Warriors both. have more depth. I mean, it's definitely no, it's both. not both. It's yeah, not it both. Is. How 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 do the Warriors have more talent than the Cavs? The Cavs have gone toe to toe with them all four games. Uh, even give I mean the Warriors won game four, fine, but they outplayed them three games. They lost game one because because Shumpert- the ca- the Cavs are amazingly scrappy. They're well coached, and they have LeBron James, who isn't is bodies a better than any other person on the court and he makes everybody else better i mean I, they they play really good team defense and they have a really good game plan to slow the warriors down but if if you're playing on on the on the lot you're gonna you're gonna pick lebron and then you're gonna pick a lot of warriors next before you pick somebody on the Cavs. But you play incredible team defense. So LeBron plays all five positions on that team defense. So four other guys aren't playing that team. You have to have players to play this incredible team defense. You have to have players to make coaching adjustments. I, I just yeah. It's I, a, I mean that's that it's that's a mental buying into the system thing. But you have to have talent. I don't. You, 
to play good team defense, you have they, to have good instincts. If you if you if they play, so you're saying if they put Brandon Hayward on the floor, he would be fine because it's the system. No, that's not what I'm saying. There's a reason he's he's not playing because he can't play the defense. He doesn't. He hasn't played all year. Why would they put Brandon Hayward in? That makes no sense. No, but the point I'm making here is if it's just a system, then you can put anyone on the floor and you don't need any talent to do it. You still have to have no, the players. The, the guys that are playing for the Cavs have incredible intangible. They have bought into playing great team defense. And the people that don't play for the Cavs, it's because, A, they're awful. And they, I mean, for what the people that do play on the Cavs right now, the people that don't play are even worse. And B, they, they just, they're not trusted and they haven't been through the battles that, that the, the seven guys on the Cavs have been through. It's, it, I'm not, I love the, I love this team. I love the Cavs team. I love how they're playing. It's because they are actually, they're, they're not as talented as the Warriors that they are finding other ways to beat them using their their mind and just their their team playing as a team it's i i'm sorry the warriors are better (laughs) than the Cavs, but the Cavs, this group this group of seven and eight guys they're finding ways to win and willing themselves to win and that's really impressive in and of itself but at the end of the day the warriors those guys are just better they're they're better they're not they're not better than the Cavs right now if the warriors win this series then yes they're better than the Cavs. You have to say that because they would have won the series. But the Cavs win this series. They're better than the Warriors, and they have talent on this team. I, I Look, it's not a system. I don't believe in system play. You have to have talent to run this team. You have to have talent to play defense on Steph Curry like Matthew Delvadova has. You have to have talent to do the things you're saying they're doing. Just because they don't score a lot of points and they aren't flashy doesn't mean they don't have talent. The Cavs role players are every bit as good as the Warriors. I, 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 I will say this till the day I die or until the Warriors beat them in a seven-game series. And in the next two games, we'll see who the better team is. If the Warriors win the next two or two out of the next three, yeah, they're the better team. If the Cavs win the next two, they're the better team. If the Warriors are so insurmountable, why didn't they sweep the Cavs? If the Warriors have all these guys who can shoot whenever they want, defend LeBron James whenever they want, get to the hoop whenever they want, why didn't they win in four games? Because they're not insurmountable. They're not overly talented than the Cavs. The Cavs can go toe-to-toe with them. They have gone toe-to-toe with them. They've outplayed them for three out of four games. We'll see. The answer to this question is forthcoming in the next week or so. Yeah, it will be the next week. But... I just, I'm sick and tired of the Cavs role players getting absolutely no respect. These guys are better than they're being billed. They're certainly better. I'm going to stop. We're, we're talking in circles, so it's time to move on. <laughs> okay. I have an interesting question for you, though. Yeah. LeBron James has been having an unbelievable series as, until game four, but even game four, he went 20, 10, and 8. So, still really awesome. But compared to his first three games, his first three games were out of this world phenomenal. Now, obviously, the series isn't over yet. But say LeBron has continued this pace. And instead of just scoring 20, he keeps scoring 30, keeps getting 10 to 12 rebounds, keeps getting 8 to 12 assists. If he averages a triple-double for this series or comes close to that, and Steph Curry doesn't have a stamp on this series game because he's been really good, but he hasn't had a transcendent game yet. Would you give LeBron James the NBA Finals MVP in a losing effort? So that would be the first Finals MVP in any sport since, what, Jerry West did it in the 50s? I think so. It's been a long and time. Jerry, Jerry West in, in that Finals that went to seven, I believe, and he pretty much just doing what LeBron is doing, scoring ridiculous amount of points while almost getting to a triple double. No, no, I don't, it just doesn't happen anymore. I think he should. I think it's clear even at this moment that he is the finals MVP, regardless of what happens these next three games. Uh, He's, he, he deserves the, the finals MVP, but no, I don't I don't think they'll give it to him because 
you have an MVP, the current MVP on the other side of the court playing for the Warriors on what would be the winning team. So no, I don't, I don't see it. And yeah, and he would definitely have to return to form of those first three games. A line of 2012 and eight does sound good, but on seven of 22 shooting with five of 10 free throws, that's just not LeBron even this year in terms of efficiency. So yeah, um, no, I don't think so, but he definitely deserves it. What What do you think? Well, when your off game is twenty twelve and eight, that's insane. I honestly think it could happen because Steph Curry has not had a transcendent game yet. He's scored twenty, I believe, in each game, but he hasn't had a sort of signature moment, a big shot. Or just, and he's been overshadowed by LeBron playing so dominant. So I think that if it was going to happen, it would happen this year. If, of course, LeBron keeps doing what he's doing for the next two or three games. I agree with you. If he only scores 20 points, even if he gets the triple-double in the next couple games, they would need to win the series. He would have to continue to do his average about 40 points over the next two games to have a shot at it in a losing effort. But I certainly think he's put himself in a position to at least make people consider him for it if they weren't to win the game. I, I, I think if LeBron puts together two more games like he did those first three, or three more games, depending on how long the series goes, win or lose, he'll, he should win the MVP. Whether or not that's enough to get the votes for them to break away from the tradition of giving it to the best player on the team that wins, I don't know. Jerry West won the 1969 NBA Finals MVP despite uh, losing against the Boston Celtics. So, Yeah, no, I knew it was Jerry West. I just didn't know what year it was. Yeah, he averaged almost 38 points, and he was playing against those Bill Russell Boston Celtics, so yeah, that was crazy. crazy. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, LeBron's averaging about that. He has to be still in the 30s, even with the 20-point game. I think it was averaging like 41 going into game four. 20 probably brings him down below 40, but if he has two or three more games, if he plays the rest of this series like he did the first three games, I think he'll do it. I think he'll get finals MVP even without a championship. What do you think he would do if they like brought him out? So assuming it's a game seven, brought him, bring him out in the Oracle arena and give him that award while like the confetti's coming down. <laughs> that would be the weirdest thing to see. It would, and he'd probably get booed by the Golden State fans. I would love it. Yeah. It would be great. But, well, no, I wouldn't love it because the Cavs would have lost the title. But I would kind of like to see the reaction of the Warriors fans if it happened. I don't think it's to, going to happen, though. I'm trying to picture LeBron's reaction because he loves to. He knows the cameras are on him at all times. So I'm just wondering what he would do. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't come out and accept it. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of rightfully so. I mean, you... You just lost Game 7 of the NBA Finals. I mean, I wouldn't blame him. Yeah. I, I don't... See, I don't get mad at the athletes who just walk off the court after a big loss like that. I don't. Because I, it's frustrating. But, but then he wouldn't have just walked off the court. He would have walked out. He'd be in the locker room by then. Unless they knew the vote results and they said, hey, you got to stay out here or something. I just don't know how it would work. Yeah. Well, that would be, I, I don't know, that would be really bizarre to see. Like like you said, I hope that doesn't come to fruition because that would mean something really bad for my team. But uh, that would be very interesting to see. Have you seen the, the Beats by Dre commercial with Draymond Green? Yeah, I hate that commercial. And they, they ask him, do you really expect to guard a four-time MVP? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think of that probably 10 times a, a game when I see LeBron dropping 40 points. I'm just like, you might want to rethink your question on that one, son. Yeah, I, no, I think of that all the time. Draymond Green is really starting to annoy me and why I watch him. He has not hit Rasheed Wallace level yet, but every time he gets a call against him he really overreacts and he reminds me of Rasheed Wallace and so I think Draymond if you're listening you know 
Rashid started losing hair over doing stuff like that, he got that little patch up there, it might not be a good idea to, to walk down that path. He hasn't hit that path yet, certainly. Rashid was way out there. He'd get 16 technicals by January and be suspended for a game. So he hasn't hit that just yet. But Draymond, you got to be careful, man. This is where it starts. This is how Rashid Wallace became Rashid Wallace. This We're, we're watching the early stages of it. So Draymond, man... <laughs> You're going to get a foul called against you every game. You got to chill out a little bit. Yeah, he I mean, he is he gets a lot of credit for being the heart and soul of a team, which means that you just hate him if he's not on your team because he is loud and 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 complains and celebrates louder than anybody else. So, obviously he's not well liked anywhere. I think it was a post-game interview after game 4 where he said Ron Artest is a living legend. So I don't I don't know if that bodes well either for Draymond Green. But um, yeah, he's just, he's one of those guys. I mean, let's be real. The Cavs have two of the most hated players in the NBA, LeBron and, and Matthew Del Vadova. So. And Anderson Varejo with his flops. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, he's, he's pesky. I think people generally like him, even if he's not, even as a fan, if you're if you're a fan of a different team, just because I mean he's kind of ridiculous. I bet people hate him. I, I think, think people have just forgotten about him because he's always yeah. hurt. But back when he was healthy, the Pistons did not like him, and uh, he used to drive a lot of people crazy with his uh, flopping. Yeah, whoever's scouting for the Cavs and finding these unathletic bulldogs that annoy everybody, they're they're doing a good job. All right, so here's the main question. Game five, is the winner of game five going to win the series? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, for the Warriors, it means going up 3-2 with uh, an opportunity to win game seven at home. So if the Warriors go up, then I'd, I think it's a ticking time for the Cavs. The Cavs win game five. I think that means they figured they were able to counter the Warriors' depth in every way and then it, they're going to win the series in, in game six or game seven. So, yes, absolutely. Game five, this is it. And, it, you know, traditionally speaking, in a 2-2 series, game five is always the most important game. But uh, for this series, I think I, absolutely. Game five winner wins the series. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing either of these teams losing on their home floor in Game 6 or Game 7. I think Game 5 is a lot more important for Cleveland because you never want to play Game 7 on the road. So the Warriors, I do think that if they were to lose Game 5, they would have a better chance at coming back than the Cavs. I think that Game 7 on the road, having that in Golden State's back pocket is a big advantage, which means... That's why I picked the Cavs in six. I think they need to win the next two in order to win the title. Of course, you can't write out anything. I mean, obviously, the Warriors could win in Cleveland. The Cavs could win in Golden State. Anything can really happen. They are, you know. But I think that whoever wins game five will ultimately win the series. Yeah, certainly. There there are a lot of questions from game four. Just that Golden State lineup that came out and started. And then LeBron James like we talked about put up a good number but for him and this Cavs team to win a game in the finals LeBron needs to be atlas and, and needs to carry this team from start to finish and he wasn't able to do that last night so uh, I think not only game five winner is going to win the series but you'll be able to see the result very quickly in that game five what kind of what player LeBron comes out as does he still have that edge from those first three games or not and yeah then we'll go from there that being said anything is a is possible when you have Steph Curry on one side and LeBron on the other so who knows I I really do have a feeling it's going to seven games I hope it doesn't go to seven games unless the Cavs are down three two yeah no I mean I obviously I, I hope it doesn't either because we could be witnessing some awesome stuff live which i'm really excited about but uh, that that's the best part about them losing game four that's the only bright side is that you and i are guaranteed to go to that game six so i'm i'm very excited to go see an nba finals game especially one that could have so much history behind it it could be something really special it also could be something really heartbreaking but either way it's going to be a very fun time yeah 
Definitely. Um, I, I'm incredibly excited regardless of what happens. I think going into it with the Warriors up 3-2, that might actually take some pressure off of that game because I, well, I don't know. I'm going to be a stress ball. Let's be real. I've been so stressed out this whole playoffs. But well, And here's why I think that Golden State can afford to lose game five because game six, if the Cavs are up 3-2, is going to be pressure unlike anything any team would ever face. To be up 3-2, not only to close out an NBA Finals, but to have that city on your back that's been so starved to win a title, I definitely think that that would play an extra role in the closeout situation so I, I certainly think that the Warriors can rebound from a game five loss better than the Cavs can with game seven in their back pocket the Cavs I think absolutely need to win Sunday if they're going to win this series yeah agreed all right we have spent a ton of time on basketball got a couple other sports to talk about mainly the French Open I was almost right about Novak Djokovic getting his first French Open. I thought I was going to be right when he beat Andy Murray in the semifinals, and certainly after he beat Rafael Nadal. But Stan Wawrinka, the dream killer, took him out in four sets. And (laughs) since 2011, uh, Djokovic has been to the semis of the French Open for five straight years. Finals three of the last four, lost to Nadal in the last three, Federer in 2011. Everyone thought that once he beat Nadal, he finally was going to break through. But Stan the Man got his second Grand Slam. A lot of people forget he won that Australian Open uh, not too, I think it was last year. But yeah, it was uh, it was a shocking. That was a bit of a shocker. Because I thought if Djokovic had won that French Open, we may have been able to see something kind of special. Because he would have had the first two slams in his back pocket. And certainly going on to surfaces he's a lot more comfortable on. Someone who could still win the Grand Slam this year is Serena Williams, who becomes the third person to win 20 Grand Slams, but second in the Open era, which began in 1968. For those of you who aren't familiar with tennis, prior to 1968, only amateurs were allowed to play in the Grand Slam tournaments. So Margaret Court won 24 Slams, but that was prior to the Open era. Most people recognize Steffi Graf as the record holder for 22 Slams. Either way, I think Serena Williams is going to get at least three more in her career and break that record. And she may even take down Margaret Court and be the ultimate women's tennis player. Bob, what do you have any thoughts about this? I know you're not as big of a tennis fan as I am, but a couple of uh, one on the women's side, you got something pretty special. On the men's side, you had a uh, bit of a shocker. Yeah, and I, I I know Serena. It was kind of all but assumed that she was going to win that tournament about halfway through because all of her competition got knocked out before she even played them. Is that right? Yeah, once Maria Sharapova lost, it was pretty much Serena Williams' tournament to lose. Sharapova has become a very strong clay court player. She won the French two of the last three years and was a defending champ. So once she lost, it pretty much was assumed that this was Serena's tournament to lose. I think she had 18 more slams than the other seven quarterfinalists combined. Wow. So... Yeah, she had 19, and only one of the other seven quarterfinalists had won a Grand Slam. So, yeah, it it was pretty much an overwhelming favorite once she got to that round of eight to to win it all. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. That's I mean, that's something when the competition goes away, you want some kind of piece of history there so that people still watch and are interested, and that's really cool, and that's going to be cool to watch going forward T- tell me about stan like is he with you know you have Djokovic, federer uh and and nadal and those guys in the top tier is, is stan right below them or is this even more of an upset than than that well it's not a huge i mean it's a, it's an upset no doubt stan is a very strong player he's a number eight in the world he's been around he won his first slam not too long ago, in 2014, he won the Australian Open, which was a bit of a surprise. He's not a young guy, though. He's 30 years old. So it's not like he's an up-and-coming player. He's been around for a while. He's one of those guys who's been just a solid player, consistently deep in tournaments, but always kind of faded when he ran into the big guys like Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Andy Murray, and some of the other guys who had been up 
on top of the rankings. But in the last, you know, the last six slams, he's played fairly well. He finally kind of got things together, won his first slam in Australia. This certainly was a surprise for him to beat Djokovic, who's been probably the second best clay court player over the last five years, especially when Djokovic was so hungry to win his first French Open title and complete his career grand slam. So it, it certainly is an upset, but it's not like an out-of-nowhere thing. I mean, the guy did have a Grand Slam before. He is a strong player, but certainly an upset. Cool. I think it's I think it's refreshing when a guy not named Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal wins, wins a Grand Slam. Obviously, I think it's better for tennis when one of those guys do, but it's good to know that these guys that they're playing against actually stand a chance sometimes. Oh, I agree. And I think it's it's good for tennis when you have a couple guys winning slams, but not like everyone winning slams. On the women's side, there's no one rivaling Serena right now, so it's not as exciting. But when she loses, it's anyone's game, and it can be really intense. There's just no real big names right now. But on the men's side, you have about four or five really strong contenders who could all win a slam, and it's exciting from that point because there's dominance, but there's drama. On the women's side, there's a little too much dominance and not enough drama. So the women's side is in a bit of a transition over the last couple years. There hasn't been a strong number two, three, or four player to really challenge Serena Williams over the last, I would say, three or four years. I see. Yeah, you're the tennis guy, so I, I come to you for my advice. Yeah, man. But you're the soccer guy. Have you been able to watch most of any of the Women's World Cup? I know it's really early in the tournament, though. Uh, I I tuned in for the USA-Australia match, which uh, played out the way just about everyone expected. I don't think the Americans played their best soccer, but they were still able to beat them 3-1, to so that was cool. In that same group, probably an even better game was Nigeria versus Sweden. Now, remember, this is the group of death. Uh, you got t- three top 10 teams, and then Nigeria, who has the FIFA Footballer of the Year. Uh, that that game, that match between Nigeria and Sweden ended with a 3-3 tie. Actually started off with Nigeria giving up an own goal, and they just kind of went back and forth. So I think this group is proving to be everything as challenging as as we thought it would be. So tonight, USA versus Sweden, that's going to be a good matchup and, and uh, something I definitely want to check out. What about you? Have you watched anything? I have not been able to watch anything, but I'm certainly going to watch the U.S. match tonight and probably the other group match tonight because the group of death is so intense. I think that's also on TV as well. Um, I think if the U.S. beats Sweden, they would advance because the other teams would be guaranteed to have, two of the teams would be guaranteed to have one or zero points if the U.S. wins. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. big a lot on the line for the US. But it's the women's it's a World Cup. Everything's on the line when you play. It's like a you know, it's a tournament. You can't afford to lose anything. But I think I think the US should at least draw Sweden. I, I would be surprised if they lost. Yeah, the the US has a really strong back line. Obviously Hope Solo's back there, really good goalie. So I think it's it's gonna be hard for any team to really beat them in the group stage, but I think a a draw against Sweden it would be okay. I, I think most people expect them to to win, but I mean Sweden's fifth in the world, has the former US coach, so anything is possible. So on a on a related note, did you watch any US men's soccer last week? I didn't, but I heard that they won a big friendly. I think they beat Germany. They beat the Dutch and then a week later they beat Germany. So Netherlands nice. and Germany in one week. That Dutch game was ridiculous the way they came back and scored three unanswered goals late. At least two. That was crazy. And then for them to beat Germany, obviously the World Cup winner last year, I mean, obviously the American side takes those friendlies a little bit more seriously than the Europeans. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's an impressive victory. It's still a big deal because even if the European teams aren't taking them seriously, I think that most of their second-tier players are every bit as good as the men's, U.S. men's. So it's a big deal when the men, when the U.S. men can perform well on the international stage against some of the big Euro superpowers, especially Germany. They're the, I think they're probably still the number one team in the world. Usually when you win the World Cup, you have to like lose 100 in a row to lose that ranking or something like that. 
Yeah, they're they're either one or two. Um, yeah, and America, um, USA did that without Clint Dempsey, without Tim Howard. I think uh, Jermaine Jones was out, so they did it with maybe not their second tier, but I think they did it with their future World Cup lineup, which is really good to hear, and it was really impressive. So it's actually been a good two weeks for American soccer men and women, and that's pretty cool to see. And the U.S. took down FIFA, so they got the trifecta going for them. <laughs> yeah, they did. And then finally, man, American Pharaoh. I wish I could have watched this race. You texted me after it, even though I didn't get the text till like Wednesday. Um, but American <laughs> Pharaoh won the Triple Crown. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Hey, we called it, right? We did call it. We called it. I think after the Preakness, and I think, and we reiterated it in our last podcast. So very strong stuff. Congratulations, American Pharaoh. Um, so. It's good to see that drought end. Yeah, definitely. That was, that was cool. And uh, I don't know if you, if you watched the highlight of it or anything, but when he rounded the corner to and he was he was leading to, to, to win it, that was uh, you could kind of feel the the energy in the stadium and, and people realized what was going on. So that was really cool, really cool to watch. Certainly. And then one last final thing. I have not gotten to watch any hockey and the Stanley Cup is also tied 2-2, so you should probably check that out. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that when that wraps up. But Stanley Cup also going intense. So it's just been a good month for sports. A lot of great things happening, a lot of great games, and a lot of different sports uh, out there performing yeah. very well. Cherish it because it's going to go away very quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the, the two dog days of sports are about to come up in July and August, so. Soon we'll have a lot of baseball and preseason football to be talking about. But until then, we've got a lot of great stuff on the horizon with the NBA Finals reaching its climax. And of course, the Stanley Cup also rounding into its final few games. So please come back to FenleyRoadSports.com. Please continue to listen to What Are You Talking About? Because we are certainly going to be talking about all of the big sports as they continue to go through and become very intense. But thank you all for your support. Please follow us on Twitter at FenleyRDSports. We're also on Instagram at FenleyRoad, R-O-A-D, Sports. You can come back to our website. We'll get some more blogs out for you. We've been a little lax with that over the last couple of weeks, but it's been a little hectic. I've been traveling a lot, and uh, you know, Bob's been a little busy too. But we'll get back on the ball with that. And uh, thank you once again for your support. Please come back, and hopefully we'll be celebrating a Cleveland Cavaliers championship when we record next yeah definitely i really hope that and uh well, i look forward to seeing you this weekend so uh, i'll talk to you soon chris yeah man i'll see you sunday drive safe thanks man